Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I can shake my ass to Bad Bunny and Mozart. You know, there is something that these guys have. And you can rock on to that. You know, you can blast that. And and same with, you know, same with reggaeton. Bienvenidos to episode seven. Today, I'm joined by my prima, a.k.a. cousin, Katia, and one of her best friends, Paola. We are going to be talking all things Boricua. That being said, I do want to plug in some super brief history. The word Boricua that I just used basically means someone from Puerto Rico. It is derived from the Tainos, which are the indigenous inhabitants. They called the island Borinquen and themselves Boricuas, and so to this day, many Puerto Ricans like to also identify as Boricuas which in my opinion is a beautiful way of honoring the native people and land and saying a little F you to the colonizer. After over a thousand years on the island, the Tainos were disturbed by Christopher Columbus and the Spanish toward the end of the 15th century. Smallpox wiped out a lot of the Taino population, many of whom were enslaved. Then enslaved Africans were brought to the island to produce cash crops. In 1868, the people of a town called Lattice attempted an uprising following a wave of independence movements among Spain's South American colonies. Spanish military did squash that rebellion, and eventually, following the Spanish-American War and under the Treaty of Paris in 1898, Spain ceded PR to the U.S. as a territory. Its current political status dates to the ratification in 1952 of its current constitution making it an unincorporated territory. This history is why Puerto Rican culture has indigenous, African, Spanish, and American influences that you can see within its customs, food, music, language, etc. Puerto Ricans are descendants of both the colonizers and the colonized. All right, you'll hear even more about its current political status in this episode, so vamos! All right, welcome to this episode of Absolutely Not. I am joined here with my cousin Katya and one of her really good friends, Paola. If you guys don't mind, go ahead and just introduce yourselves really quickly and maybe provide some backgrounds for who you are and what we need to know about you moving forward. Hello, hello. My name is Paola Maria Vasquez and I am from San Juan, Puerto Rico. And my father is Cuban, so I am half Cubana, half Puerto Ricana. And I'm a musician. I play the violin and sing. Hi, um, I'm Katia Reyer-Vincerni. I'm Liana's cousin from Puerto Rico. I'm from Aguadilla specifically. Paula and I actually met when we were three, four years old playing the violin together. So I'm also a musician. Excellent. Um, all right. So we need to just start because growing up being Puerto Rican in California um, was surrounded by a lot of people that didn't know the basics. And I can only imagine how many things you both have heard over the course of your life, especially like moving to the States and back from the States. Mm-hmm. So let's just do some rapid fire, absolutely not, of things that people do and don't know about PR. So number one, is it part of the U.S.? <laughs> is it its own country? What is Puerto Rico? Uh, Puerto Rico is absolutely a part of the U.S. It's not a state. Um, it is a commonwealth. And while we do have representation in Congress, we do not have the right to vote for the president while we live in Puerto Rico. Yep. We'll get into that colony status a little bit later. But are Puerto Rican citizens? Yes, we absolutely are citizens. And have U.S. passports and can, you know, come to the States and leave the States just like any other U.S. citizen. 
we are not immigrants is a thing I would like to point out because a lot of people say, oh, you immigrated here. No, I migrated, kind of like you migrate a couch from your living room to <laughs> your room. So, you know. Amazing. And if you move to the States, how long before you can vote for president as a Puerto Rican? Um, I think pretty much as soon as you have a, like an address where you can mm-hmm. register to vote. That's yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, the next question that I get a lot is like, what language is spoken in PR? Is it all Spanish? I've gotten asked if I speak Puerto Rican, and the answer would be absolutely not. I speak Spanish and English, as you can tell. Right. Yeah, well, we have slang that I think identifies wherever we go. Um, if you hear that slang, you know, I, like that's a Puerto Rican person speaking. Um, our accent is pretty you know, significant also in that aspect, but our slang is something that I'd say would constitute our language. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Spanglish. I feel like Puerto Ricans are so adept at Spanglish. Like I would be willing to bet Puerto Mm -hmm. Ricans are the best at Spanglish in the world. Um, Spicy food. Puerto Ricans love spicy food, right? You guys all eat tacos. (laughs) No. Um, my palate only became slightly adapted to spicy food when I moved to Texas for college, and that was a first for me. I could barely handle hot Cheetos, um, so that's not a thing, really. I mean, everyone has different taste buds. Like, my dad likes spicy food, but it's not because he's Puerto Rican. That's just his taste. Yeah. Paola, anything to add? I feel like Cubans and Puerto Ricans eat pretty much the same foods. Pretty much the same. I, I personally like Cuban food, traditional Cuban food, more than Puerto Rican food, even though I've um, actually never been to Cuba. And yeah, you know, frijoles in Cuba is frijoles negros, more black frijoles, black beans. And in Puerto Rico is more, you know, pink rosadas. And um, I like Cuban food a little bit better, but it's very, very similar. Um, but, you know, in Cuba, there's not pasteles or arroz yeah. con gandules. You know, those are more Puerto Rican uh, yeah. chicharrones, which those... Those are not my faves, but yeah, fair. And Katya, as a that this is totally going on a tangent now, but like as a vegetarian, right? Like, how do you navigate Puerto Rican food? Because I do feel like there's a lot of meat. So, what are your favorites? Mm-hmm. Slash, how has, how have you been a vegetarian your whole life in PR? Yeah, um, I'm definitely a non-traditional Puerto Rican in that respect, um, or in many others, but. Um, Food-wise, you know, tostones, obviously, I love. I can eat that. Um, I can eat mofongo as long as it is not relleno de something with meat. Um, Mm -hmm. So rice and beans is a huge daily kind of thing. Like, in a week, I'll have rice and beans maybe three times, you know? Like, it's just, I love it, and it's a traditional dish Mm -hmm. and doesn't have meat. So as a vegetarian, I indulge in that a lot. Yeah. Hot take. I don't think mofongo is that good. I feel like most of the times when you have mofongo, it's dry and it's bad. Yeah. Like I feel like on on rare occasion when it's really well done, it's delicious. But I feel like nine out of ten times, I'm super underwhelmed by mofongo. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. just me. You have to, you have to find the right place, I guess, to do it so that it's like I don't like dry mofongo either. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So the next question is kind of um, related also to a really big misconception because um, people are shocked when they find out someone is from Puerto Rico for the most part because they're like oh you don't look like you're from PR um so how do you two personally identify or can you identify fellow Boricuas is there such a thing as looking you know Puerto Rican uh I've asked I asked a friend yesterday if there was such a thing and and she said no but 
I think there is. I think we have a a certain look. Um, as far as a certain look, I mean, physically, like, i.e. the color of our skin, hair, eyes, no, because we are, you know, we vary a lot. I, my, my good friend is a redhead with green eyes. You met her, Gracie. Shout out, Gracie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have blonde friends, you know, with dark eyes and black haired friends with green eyes. And we come in all different shapes and colors. Um, I say maybe what Paula means, maybe like an attitude or like a vibe you get from them. Maybe that's, you mm-hmm. know, again, a Puerto Rican. Yeah. But physically, we're just very diverse. If you're a nerd like me, you may be interested to know exactly how diverse. And I will tell you. Uh, the census shows that the population of Puerto Rico is about 67% white, 11% black, 5% mixed race, and 0.5% indigenous. However, it is also listed as 99% Hispanic or Latinx. If you're confused, I'll repeat something I mentioned briefly in episode 4, which is that being Hispanic or Latinx is an ethnicity, not a race. So you can be black or indigenous, for example, and also identify as Latinx. Yeah. yeah, I also think yeah. the way the way we talk and use our hands is also yeah. really yes. important, again, right? Yes. Like, it's much more a vibe. Um, but I do think it's really important to clear that up, right? Like, being Puerto Rican can be called a nationality, more accurately, an ethnicity, but it's certainly not a race. So you can be any race and be Puerto Rican, which, you know, brings us to, I think mm-hmm. it's important to acknowledge right off the, off the bat, right? Like, there are Afro-Latinx people. There are Afro-Puerto Ricans. We are not them. And there's, like, the whole hierarchy within that. Um, but I do mm-hmm. think people picture, like, you know, they have this this picture of J-Lo or whatever, and that's how everyone is supposed to look if they're, if they're Latina. So that being said, how do... Puerto Ricans relate to other Latinx groups and also Paola you're uniquely positioned to answer this because you can speak from like a Cuban perspective maybe as well um but like is there an unspoken hierarchy right because there are so many Latinx countries there are so many different you know ways of speaking Spanish ways of relating to your Latinidad Latinidad is also like not even a real thing right but do Puerto Ricans specifically think that there's a hierarchy or think that for example like they're better because they are U.S. citizens for instance like and what biases maybe did you you all grow up with I feel that um to also touch on the previous point I feel that that there is a hierarchy within the island you know depending on your skin color and also outside you know depending on other compared to other Latinx uh, communities and I just want to briefly you know touch base on on both coming back uh you know I left when I was really young I left when I was 15 and coming back, you know, as a light-skinned Latina, I just see how much privilege I have in the island, which is different when I was living, for instance, in California or in New York, I was seen as, you know, Latina. And I think that's something really important to to just talk about. Um, it's totally a different conversation talking about it in Puerto Rico than talking about it in the States, because in the States, I was a POC, you know, and you can kind of be like, I'm Latina, I'm POC, you know, I'm part of the, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not white, you know, right. God forbid. But right. here it's actually like, no, I'm, I'm Blanquita, you know, and I got to look at that. And because it's a sensitive issue and, you know, just like white fragility exists, there's my own light skin fragility. And I don't want to say something wrong to like make, you know, my fellow brown and black Puerto Ricans feel weird. And that's something that, I think we need to be talking about way more so we kind of 
brush it under the rug because we all, you know, we're all Puerto Ricans, but that's not true. You know, still in different cities in Puerto Rico, it's very um, kind of clustered. You know, in Guaynabo, it's a lot of white passing Puerto Ricans and and other areas of the island that are not as well taken care of is where more brown and black Puerto Ricans live at. And I feel that's just something that we have to really pay attention at. So Puerto Ricans that look like me really start taking responsibility for 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 our privilege. Yeah. yeah. And I think I want like originally I had thought about like internalized racism there is that isn't ever addressed in Puerto Rico. And like how, you know, the the black people are seen as like, well, you have to marry up, you have to marry white and mejora la raza. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Katia here. I just said mejora la raza, which is a commonly used phrase in Latinx communities, which literally translates to improve the race. It implies that you should marry or have children with a whiter person so you'll have better looking kids. Okay, so now we're going to dive back into the larger structures of colorism and how that pertains to the hierarchies within Latinx countries. I'm going to pass it off to Paola. In, in, you know, in the question of hierarchy, you know, within other Latinx communities, yes, I feel actually, you know, I have friends from Nicaragua and El Salvador and Mexico, and they always give me shit because they're like, oh, you're, uh, you know, you have your citizenship, like, oh, you're so nice and privileged. And it's like, well, you know, th- they got a point, like, that's totally right. And these are things that I never even questioned when I grew up because it was just handed to me, you know. And then from a Cuban perspective, you know, in the Caribbean, I feel that Cubans that that live here versus Dominicans that live here, I feel that Puerto Ricans, there is a kind of a different um, treatment, you could say, you know, I feel that Dominicans, you know, al Dominicano, you know, they often get treated as uh, lower class citizens, which is really fucked up. And it's really sickening, you know, to to witness that Um, versus Cubans, you know. Uh, there's a little bit more of a superiority. Um, and do you find that aligned with, with race, right? Because I feel like Dominican is often, you know, also a euphemism for black, right? Like the assumption is that if somebody's Dominicano, there's a higher chance that they're black than Cuban. Or no, do you feel like it is strictly along lines of like nationality? Well, now that you put it that way, potentially, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm learning all these things and um, as I grow. I was more speaking of it in terms of nationality. It's interesting because, Katia, I, I want to hear what you say also just because from within our family, like the vibe that I've gotten, right, even just spending like chunks of my summers in PR, like I've gotten a p- pretty clear sense that like Dominicans, for example, or Mexicans, for instance, are looked down upon and that like Cubans, like kind of like what I was saying, was seen as like equals or maybe even better. And it's kind of hard. Like, I don't think I can remove that from the clear like racial lines that sit there. But also I wonder if it's because there's this like connection for, and I could be totally off base here. So tell me, but like for Dominicans in PR, I feel like they're more likely to be in like service positions. Do you know what I mean? Like, is mm-hmm. that totally off base? Is that connected? What? Yeah. No, I, um, I think you're pretty right on when it comes to that because um, Dominicans do come to Puerto Rico a lot of times looking for like a better life. Um, and so mm-hmm. they end up be working in positions of service, you know, and um our moms back in the day when our moms were growing up, they had their, you know, help in the house. Um, and she was Afro Taino. Um, so even just the color of her skin being of native Puerto Rican, um, she was still the help, you know, and 
nowadays, mm-hmm. um, what you see mostly is darker skinned Dominicans who are the ones in those, you know, positions, obviously not, not everyone, but that is, I think, a hierarchy that you tend to see. And that's just what I kind of grew up with. And like, then there's like the jokes, there's the jokes that Dominicans mm-hmm. are lesser or like they're dumber. But then I met this one Dominican and at camp, um, the Dominicans also have jokes like that about Puerto Ricans. So I didn't know that. And maybe there is, maybe it's like a mutual back and yeah. forth. But at the end of the day, I think we do feel that brotherhood, you know, and like a world scale that yeah. against Puerto Ricans, you know, we're like for the island and Cubans even, you know, we're like yeah. being Latinos. That's a good way to put it. That like, you know, Cuba, Cubans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans are like siblings. And so like the disagreements between them, not to say that it's not super harmful and right with racism and colorism, right? But like that, like when it comes down to it, us versus the rest of the world, I'm using us here, but like, right, the th- those three just being island nations in that particular place in the world, like there's a lot more commonality than difference, I would be willing to bet, right? And you can see that across culture, across food, um, across the things that you have to face, which is a really good transition, I think, to my next question, um, which is like, every time I feel like PR has come up in the news, at least in the past, like five years, it's been about something, something negative, right? It's often portrayed as a place that always needs help. I don't want to like, miss the opportunity to talk about Hurricane Maria. I'm curious, kind of like, what that was like for you because you were in the States. Well, both of you were in the States, but Gadia, you were in the States and your whole family was there. Um, if you don't mind, cause I know it was really a really difficult time, but like explaining what that was like for you and also what it's like now that it's out of the news, kind of how you view how Puerto Rico is treated Trump with, you know, his Papa Dwaya throwing bullshit. Okay. So, um, experiencing it, you know, in Texas when I was in school, um, it had its own level of, you know, tragedy I would say I know nothing probably compared to the people on the island who actually had to go through it um but having your whole family and most of your friends on the island and then just that psychological damage it does like not knowing because since the whole island was like blacked out and there was no electricity all of the cellular towers were down you know I couldn't contact anybody for like several days right for a, a whole week at least yeah. me yeah I talked to my sister for the first time seven days after like it initially hit and it was the longest seven days of my life like it was awful like not knowing and in the news of what you see obviously the worst of the worst so you're seeing all of this stuff and you know like the lines are down so you're hoping that that's just all it is but you don't really know like the state of like your town your house you know the people and I think that was a time that really did bring people together like I got phone calls from random people that I didn't even know existed they're like family of family of friends of friends that knew my dad and contacted me somehow to tell me that they talked to the neighbor who said that things were okay. And it was just like really weird, interesting, but you just felt so grateful to this person that you never again spoke to in your life. Like, oh my gosh, they let me know things were okay, at least in my town. We all know Trump is just shitty. Um, and he blames the Puerto Rican people. And it's just like the fact that you're like blaming victims of a hurricane that you know, their island is a disaster because initially we haven't had the infrastructure and everything set in place that we should have had because the U.S. hasn't given us what they owe us basically all of these Yeah, years. has just continued to rob from PR. Yeah. I think also going back to what you said, like FEMA obviously is super necessary and has not, you know, was not given to the extent it should have been. But I also feel like there's the portrayal that like because 
Puerto Rico is in the second class citizenship status that like it only survives if the U.S. is benevolent enough to help it, which again, like there are elements of that that are true. But what you just said is this like really beautiful thing that I think is tied to, to being Boricua, to being Puerto Rican, which is like people helping each other out. And it's what happens, right, when you're facing a disaster and you're part of a tight knit community, right? Like I feel like that's the narrative that I got from being slightly closer to the situation, which is like watching how people come together in the face of these situations. And right now I'm like, like right in this moment, I'm starkly contrasting that with like the, the state's mentality during COVID. And I think it's really interesting to compare and contrast like the individualism that is so intense in the U S that we have people being like, I'm not going to wear a mask because you know, I don't have to, and you can't tell me what to do versus NPR. Like your house has just been totally wrecked and you're still going to go out of your way to help your neighbor. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think this individualism that is intrinsic to the U.S. culture and, you know, maybe Western culture, I should say. Um, and it is like each to his own. They're faring how they can. And if, you know, like the whole capitalism, like, oh, you earned the money you have, fuck everyone else. At least during these times of, you know, of chaos and um, disaster, they, I, I do see that, you know, na- at least the people I know, you know, our neighbors, and at least in that moment, you know, you think, wow, like we really come together as a people and it's, and it's beautiful. But for so long, I thought like, oh, it's because it's out of necessity, right? Like I'm seeing this really beautiful coming together in NPR because people have to, like people in the U.S. would do that if they had to. But now I'm being confronted with like, no, right? It's a cultural thing. It, it, it's either there, or it's not because the, the U.S., you know, inarguably has to come together right now to overcome something and by and large is choosing not to. Um, and so it's just really like clarified for me that it's not necessarily out of necessity, that it's, it's ingrained, right? Like that it's, um, I don't know, that's a really blanket statement, but that's kind of how I've been feeling. And I wonder how does Puerto Rico's status affect your perception of yourself and of PR? Um, I think it wasn't until I left for college that I really had to think more in depth about this question because in the island, we're never asked to label ourselves as anything other than Puerto Rican. Um, And then the United States loves labeling people and things and everything. So Mm -hmm. I was asked multiple times, like, well, are you American or are you Puerto Rican? Like you can't be both. I'm like, no, yeah, actually you can, because I am both. I'm American and I'm Puerto Rican. Even though if I'm asked right off the bat, I say, well, I'm Puerto Rican. And to me, that is supposed to inherently tell you I'm also American. If you knew that we were citizens, but like, I don't want to call myself, yeah, I'm American, I'm prideful, you know, but I also think that there is a certain pride in being American and being a Puerto Rican. It's just really complex dichotomy where um, mm. I guess it's like unfair that I can pick and choose like what's convenient for me to pick at the time. But for the most part, I like, you know, saying I'm Puerto Rican and I'm, and I'm proud of that. Um, and I do f- feel that a lot of Puerto Ricans are resentful to the fact that we aren't treated as first-class citizens at the end of the day, because we're not, you know? Politically, it's very complex, Mm -hmm. but um, because we're a colony of the United States, you know, that brings lots of problematic um, elements to that. And as a people, I think, I can speak for myself, but I think I um, echo a lot of the sentiments there that we just, we don't think the United States has been fair to us. Yeah, Paola, I'm curious about your perspective also having, mm-hmm. you know, grown up or been in the States for so long and now moving back. Like, is there any noticeable difference, um, especially with regard to your relationship, like, to the United States and how you view it or, like, resources that are and aren't available 
Um, because I think what Gadi was saying was really interesting because hers was kind of like from PR to the States, but like, how does that look going in reverse a little bit? Well, you know, I've been, I've been back for less than a year, so it's very recent. Uh, but what I can say is that I am Puerto Rican. I don't identify as American. Yes, technically I am American because of the whole fucked up status, but I am, yo soy Puerto Rican, like, you know, I'm not a gringa. Um, yeah, I'm not, you know, no, no gracias. Like, no, thank you. Um, no. So some important context and background information with regard to agency identity and the question of statehood. The population of PR for context is over 3 million people, which makes it larger than that of 21 states. PR has had five referendums on the topic of statehood, as recently as 2017, where turnout was an historic and abysmal 23%, and people subsequently boycotted that vote. In a less contentious referendum in 2012, however, 54% of people voted no to maintaining current political status. And as an alternative, with the options that they were given, 61% chose statehood, 33% chose something called free association, which is actually how PR was defined in its original constitution, and then another 5.5% chose full independence. It's important to note, however, that the language and the non-binding nature of these referendums um, has made them a point of frustration for many, which Paola is actually about to touch on. It's kind of a catch because it's not asked, do you want to be a state or do you want to be independent? You know, it right. kind of cors- corners you to, to submitting into either yeah. to submitting into either statehood or what we have now, which right. doesn't really work right. in my opinion. Statehood is like, okay, do you want to have all the things that you should have had from the U.S. so long ago that they should have given you from from the jump after colonizing um, and and wreaking havoc on PR? Or do you want to stay second-class citizens and not receive those resources, right? And you're very on the nose that, like, on the table isn't, like, sovereignty plus reparations and all the things that you should have from, from the U.S. So I am curious, like, what for the two of you, what your ideal situation would be. What would you want for PR? Would you want it to be a sovereign? Would you, you know, give up citizenship, for example, of the U.S., if that meant that, like, PR could stand on its own fully and not be beholden to the U.S. anymore? Um, for me, I thought about this for a bit, and I'd rather be poor than be morally corrupted. Um, I think the United States is not great to put it very nicely um and very nicely <laughs> yes and i um i acknowledge that that's a very privileged thing for me to say you know but also acknowledging that like pr's economic status has everything to do with what the us has and hasn't done right it's not like pr is poor of course poor, right so it's, yes, yeah, yes 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 exactly and i feel you know we would need a pretty humongous you know financial economical reform for the island to float on its own because now it's like 90 something percent of everything that we consume is imported so clearly we're not standing on our own feet and as a boricua you know with my emotional pride I believe that we can do it and maybe that's very ignorant of me and maybe I need to look at that more but that's where I'm at I don't yeah I I wouldn't want to be a state no Okay, you also just touched on something that I wanted to get to, which is Boricua pride. 
Um, I feel like there's the running joke, at least in people that know about how prideful Boricuas, Puerto Ricans are. Like, I don't know if you both have seen that meme of like, go to going over to any Puerto Rican's house and it's like 600 flags outside. Um, but like all jokes aside, my question for you all is like, do you think that that pride comes from a place of like survival, right? Like clinging to the difference and clinging to the islands as, you know, while watching it be whitewashed, as you said, Paola, or does it come from somewhere else? I mean, I don't know. That was a very leading question, but like essentially where does Boricua pride come from? Um, Yeah. (laughs) And why is it so strong? Um, Personally, mine actually became stronger when I moved to the States. Um, Prior to that, I, you know, um, I will throw myself under the bus and admit that I judged that um, very much of, other Puerto Ricans, I was like, oh my God, that's embarrassing. I cannot like... Okay, so I know I will say I was thinking about you specifically, Katia, with this question because I remember like back when we were preteens or teenagers, I was like, I loved I loved it, right? As somebody who wants to cling to my Puerto Ricanness as much as possible growing up in the States, I was like, I want to have a flag in my car, blah, blah, blah. And you told me it was gafre, like... Really quickly, gafre is the Puerto Rican way of saying tacky or ratchet, basically classless. Um, and all this stuff. And I remember like, like our family and their elitism was like, no to that, right? No to like wearing the flag and being loud and blah, blah. And, you know, I was like, wait, but that's the kind of Puerto Rican I want to be, but our family wasn't. So I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. appreciative that you brought that up and really interested to hear how that's kind of shifted for you. So sorry, I won't stop interrupting. Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, growing up my whole life in Puerto Rico, I didn't feel the need to yell to the world that I'm Puerto Rican because, I mean, yeah, I live here. Duh. Um, I grew up here. I was born to Puerto Rican parents. Um, but then moving to the States where, you know, you're surrounded by a bunch of different cultures and particularly the other Latin Americans that, you know, love reggaeton and love all of, like, the Puerto Rican culture that I didn't appreciate living on the island. I came to appreciate it more you know, when I left and I was just like, oh, now I'm suddenly proud of it because like, it's what I grew up with and maybe I didn't appreciate it partly because of the family I grew up in, you know, where it is, has that elitism tone to it. And I, you know, studied classical music, but I've definitely become a lot more prideful since I had the experience of living away from home. Okay, great. So I'm going to get you the flag bikini now. Sound good? I may not wear that, but sure. <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about, though. Right? Absolutely. I've seen it everywhere. <laughs> I honestly, I, uh, same as Katia, you know, my pride definitely intensified when I got to the, when I moved to the States. And same growing up, you know, having that kind of pride with a lot of flags that was, you know, something cafe or like, oh my God, you know kind of vibes but now I would definitely wear the bikini so if you get one please send it my way okay we'll take matching pictures we'll all wear it yes (laughs) yes. I love it um okay beautiful that again you you're you're just segueing perfectly into all the things I want to talk about so both of you are classical musicians um we're trained as classical musicians you mentioned that that's how you met um Yet I think very clearly, especially recently, when people in the States think of music and PR, they immediately go to like Daddy Yankee, Ivy Queen, Wissini and Dead, and obviously Bad Bunny now. Um, so what has it been like kind of navigating the music world or the classical music space while also loving reggaeton? Or like, how have you seen classes and play out there? What was that like? Because Katya, like, I know you and I, at least back in the day, were the only ones in our family that liked to take out them. Like, everyone else was like, that's trash. Um, so, like, how, yeah, how has that played out? Um, I think Paola has a 
different unique perspectives because both her parents are classical musicians, but at least in our family, you know, um, classical music is seen as like superior, classy, you know, educated um, way of listening to music. And, and you know, if, if you listen to classical music, you're most likely educated, you know, and, but again, I, I've had sort of trouble coming to terms with the fact that I really do like reggaeton, even though musically, I don't mm. see that it has like a huge amount of difficulty or I don't know what you want to say. It's not very musical um, in the traditional sense of the word, but right. I appreciate the artistry to it. And, you know, to party, like to move, to dance, there's nothing more fun than dancing to reggaeton. So, yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, similarly to Katya, you know, growing up, and playing the violin and being completely submerged in the classical music world. And, you know, then the boom of reggaeton coming, that was like, a, we're doomed kind of vibes, you know, in the family. Like, what is this trash? It's and I wonder if it like parallels how people saw like rap and respectability right in the States. Like, oh, here goes our society. Like it kind of, right. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, it sounds like the same kind of thing, like this fear of this music, like corrupting a generation. Um, and also again, tied to race, but continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Tied to race and tied to class and tied to, uh, you know, access to education. It's just a whole thing. But <clears throat> yeah, you know, I just want to say something um, for those that don't like classical music or don't like reggaeton, you know, I can shake my ass to Bad Bunny and Mozart, you know. There is something that these guys have. Um, there's something that these guys have in common, which is flow. You know, they got they got flow. Um, you know, I'm a classical musician, and I don't like all of classical music, you know. Mozart specifically, you know, you can blast that and, you know, have a J and a glass of wine and definitely party. And same with, you know, same with reggaeton. Um, yeah, you know, harmonically or theorically is not obviously as complex, but there is something very liberating about it and very fun and exciting. So I think those that cannot appreciate reggaeton have a little bit of a stick up their ass. And like my teacher says, who's a classical violinist, if you cannot find at least one thing to appreciate in every genre of music, you are the problem. You know, you got to take a look at yourself. 100%. That was, I mean, I'm definitely going to try. I, have, I can't say I've tried like Mozart and a J and a glass of wine. Like maybe I'll try that tonight. Like when you said you it's should good. to it, like that might change my whole life. So I'm going to try. Um, <laughs> so it's good I stuff. I promise. Yeah, no, I believe it. Um, but also going off of that, I would, I'm curious what other areas of like, quote unquote, respectability, the two of you have had to push against as they pertain to PR culture, right? Like as people from a higher class, as people, right, with lighter skin um, and how much like there, you know, I've seen it myself, but again, to a much lesser extent, but like the toxic machismo, the gendered expectations, you know, how much have you personally seen, dealt with, how have you pushed against it? Kind of what's, what's your journey been with respectability? And, and that culture in, in Puerto Rico? Um, specifically in regards to liking and listening to reggaeton, 
and what I constantly get from my mom like how could you call yourself a feminist and like this kind of trash music that degrades women that's probably the classic um uh criticism I get from liking that music you know and it's just I want people to know that you can't be badass you can't be feminist you can be classy as fuck and still enjoy that type of music you know um and it doesn't mean that you were I don't know how to put it, that you're degrading yourself in liking it or enjoying it, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, you raise a really interesting point. I think the older I've gotten, though, I will say, like, I will admit, it has gotten harder for me to listen to, like, rap or reggaeton by men saying certain things. Because I, I do, I am genuinely like, oof, which is why I am super excited and gravitate towards, like, women rappers, right? Or um, women singers. And, um, and, like, Cardi B, for instance. Again, like, not my favorite musician, not my favorite artist, but, like, there's, I just have such a deep level of appreciation because I think these genres are tied to sexuality, right? So I think that's like the first thing that people, maybe our parents age and older are alarmed by, right? Like hearing such overt sexuality. Although if we're being honest, like go listen to old R&B, whatever. It's everywhere. It's always been there. Yes. But it is way more overt now than maybe it used to be. So hearing men do it, like you can still be, like you said, a total feminist. You can be doing it as a way to reclaim your own sexuality. But then hearing it come out of like women, makes me super excited um and makes me you know like that's full ownership of sexuality and that's where I'm like that can be fem that is feminism um yeah <laughs> I just have to say y'all watch out for the next up-and-coming Puerto Rican bad bitch artist as Paola Vasquez in this podcast because this is exactly what we've been talking about and I can't wait for her <laughs> album so. oh shit wait tell us more Paola oh my god <laughs> um yeah, you know, it, it. a few months ago, I was in the car with a friend. We were road tripping from Rincón, which is on the West Coast. By the way, Rincón has the most beautiful sunsets in the planet. So if you ever come to Puerto Rico, go to Rincón. But don't go right now. And, <laughs> no, no, of course not right now. In the future, you know, like in 2022 or some shit. So, yes, I was a few months ago listening to some reggaeton oldies and... I just started laughing because I never, as a 13-year-old, when I was listening to this music, I wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics. And now listening to it as an adult and, and hearing what these men are saying with such confidence, you know, it's hilarious to me. It's really funny. So, yeah, I definitely think we need more women owning the bellaquera, owning the, you know, pleasure, physical pleasure, you know desire you know it's all very nice and acceptable when men say it and you know I don't know a lot of women that that say that you know like Cardi thankfully she's doing that but in Latino you know in Hispanic Latinx culture I feel that that has to be balanced out so I hope to stand up for bellaca women that you know like to get down oh yeah if that didn't already convince you to be a Paola fan, here's a taste of her incredible musical talent. Tanto tiempo disfrutamos de este amor. Nuestras almas se acercaron tanto así que yo guardo tu sabor. Pero tú llevas también sabor a mí. Si negaras mi presencia en tu vivir, 
Bastaría con abrazarte y conversar. Tanta vida yo te di que por fuerza tienes ya. Sabor a mí. Esa se la digo a todos los gringuitos, que no se le olvide que estuvieron con una boricua. Sabor a mí forever. Woo! That was beautiful. Thank you. Looking out for Paola's music, for sure. So that's really exciting. Yeah. If it's okay, I kind of want to segue or touch base on machismo culture in Puerto Rico, which is insane. It's fucking sick. <laughs> Yes. And like, like, it's horrible. You know, after living in the States for 10 years, I noticed that living out there, racism is, is the big fucking problem. You know, it's, it's, of course, it's a problem in the entire world. It's a problem here as well. Um, but, but for some reason, the whole male-female imbalance, you know, machismo, macho culture, I personally didn't feel it as much as I feel it in Latinx communities. You know, uh, yes, of course, when I felt it. You didn't feel it as much? No, I okay. didn't. I, of course, I still felt it. Like, right, right, don't right. get me wrong. The, you know, the patriarchy is right, uh, right. nice and alive, you know, uh, and we got to look at that. But in Hispanic culture, you know, Latinx culture, you know, within the Cuban, Puerto Rican culture that I grew up with, it's much more exacerbated in my experience and maybe I don't know if Katia or, or you yeah you I was know, gonna say I agree. feel like we both know what you're talking about but can you give a couple of like concrete examples because I'm thinking of like specific things that only you know that I saw visiting PR that yeah. like didn't really exist like the ex the unspoken expectation I feel like there are just so many if you don't mind giving a couple examples so growing up I was told to sit like a lady and I feel that gender roles in Puerto Rico are much more um yeah you they're know, way more pronounced the cook pronounced and serve your man and I think you're right that they're tied it's tied to heteronormativity like it's not you, we can't just like draw a clear line between gender and sexuality right like those two things are very much linked in in much yes culture. no and it's it's a lot of a lot of you know like racism sexism is is kind of like they say like death by a thousand cuts you know it's it's not as overt as as one wishes sometimes to be because I feel overt things are easier to call to be called out 100%. but first yeah as, you know as a woman and as a as a queer woman in, in an insular latin setting you just notice how first feminism is it's very demonized here versus feminism in you know, California or, you know, Aspen, Colorado or, you know, Manhattan, New York, it's it's a little bit more, it's more trendy. It's more acceptable. It's, yeah, it feels socially more acceptable and integrated versus here, you know, feminism and, you know, being a feminist queer woman in an island in, a, in Puerto Rico, it feels much more dangerous, you know, I, I, I'm going to say, uh, especially, you know, with all the um, feminicidios that have happened, that happen yeah, here. Yeah all yeah. the time yeah. and not only against women but against trans women against queer women and I almost feel I have I've had to kind of come back into the closet a little bit you know of course I'm I'm, I'm pansexual I'm very open about that but I felt a different kind of safety uh you know For being sure. a queer woman in liberal parts of the states versus in Puerto Rico it's very okay I feel like again as 
more of an outsider, right? For me personally, the like intrinsic machismo culture, respectability, whatever you want to call it, as being tied to being Puerto Rican. So like part of me is like, ah, when I go there, like men are going to open doors more for me. I'm going to be treated slightly differently. And in my head, like that's married to what it means to be Puerto Rican because it everything exists on the island when I go visit, for instance, right? So my question, I guess, for both of you is if we're going to reimagine what it means to be Puerto Rican, right? Or, or set me straight, for instance, right? Because that's not necessarily correct. Um, what does it actually mean? Paola, for instance, right? Like, how does your queerness play into it? How do you negotiate your queerness, your feminism as a Puerto Rican? Do you see those things as separate? Like, are, do you feel like it's so, Puerto Rico so like, quote unquote, far behind that you have to separate those two things? Or have you found a way to kind of be like, no, being Puerto Rican for me means being a feminist and being queer and being this and that? Well, I don't feel I got to negotiate anything of who I am. You know, if you don't like it, then fuck off. You know, like, I don't need to negotiate my anything. I feel like that's the most Puerto Rican thing you could say. I feel like that's it right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not negotiating my my sexuality, like, and my identities. Um, And also, I want to go back to this, just because, like, I think about language and what you hear as being so tied to being Puerto Rican, like, I think that back when I asked you, like, how do you identify other, other Boricuas? Like for me, it's, it's, if you hear them speak, right? Like, yeah, um, like that you're like, you know, as a Puerto Rican for sure. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to ask, which is like, what are your favorite Puerto Rican sayings or slang words? If you have some off top, because I feel like they're just so beautiful and I love them so much. <laughs> I mean, I just mentioned like one hangar, it's an anglicism, you know, it's, derived from English to hang out um but I've mm-hmm. noticed that I've said that to other like Latinx friends and they're like huh what did you say I'm like mama hang yeah yeah like, what are you saying but like there's no other word that I can think of that like let's go party kind of thing like yeah so that's one of my favorite because I say it often and it's really all, all encompassing it can mean like we're going out we're going to the beach we're gonna go you know whatever my students who you know mostly like Mexican Central American I would say things and they're like, I don't, what are you saying? <laughs> Even just like, you know, choosing words for like car, for instance, or lunch, right? Um, or zapacón. No one knows what zapacón is. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it's one of the, that's one of the cool things that comes from being both like part of the U.S., right? Like having the English influence, <laughs> but being able to make it your own and being an island, right? Like the isolation itself, I think also creates this really cool, um, unique culture. I feel like there's also an elitism in how you speak Spanish, right? The classism that comes with like, because the people who speak Spanglish and speak Spanglish the way that like I love, for instance, it's definitely associated with like lower class. And then also have heard our family or other Puerto Ricans be like, the correct Spanish, like the ultimate Spanish is like Spain Spanish. And I'm like, boo, colonizer. But <laughs> I, you know, mm-hmm. I do think it's really interesting how it plays out with like, even with NPR, how you speak Spanish, how Spanglish is wrong, even though it's like, that's what language does. It evolves. Um, That's another thing I wanted to point out because even within the island, depending on your accent, your use of certain words, how you pronounce things, you know, if you're from like La Isla, like if you're from like the mountains or Un Jibaro. Mm-hmm. And also Puerto Ricans, you know, we uh, we switch the uh, R's for L's, like por qué instead of por qué. And also we omit S's. Especially at the end of a word. Yeah, chop the ends of words, right. Yeah, like instead of saying arroz or arroz, we say arroz. Um, arroz con pollo. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. And 
And yeah, that was also something I always got corrected by my conservative side of the family, you know, very, uh, the, the side of the family that tends to glorify the, you know, United States. Maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's not. Amazing. All right. Well, you know, either as a recap or anything new, what are your absolutely nots? We kind of covered some at the beginning. Absolutely do not assume that Puerto Rican culture consists only of like reggaeton because there's a lot, lot, lot more to us. I got a request. If you don't know where Puerto Rico is in a map, please look it up, man. <laughs> I have been like, where do you, where do you think it is? And I was like, it's here. And then they point to like Panama. <laughs> also, Puerto Rico is part of the Caribbean. You know, we're the Caribbean. A lot of people have said, oh, are you Central American? Are you South, you know, from South America? No, you know, we're Caribbean people. For me, because I feel, you know, being in the States and being, uh, you know, exotified by a lot of Americans. Uh, and absolutely not is, do all Puerto Ricans have a big ass? Absolutely not. You know, like, I'm Puerto Rican. I have a small butt. <laughs> we have to clarify that because we have Katia on this in this conversation. <laughs> but yeah. again, going back to like, do all Puerto Ricans look a certain way? You know, is everybody hypersexual? Is everybody, you know, again... J-Lo is everybody no <laughs> just yeah. like anywhere else everybody's different <laughs> yeah and, and people like at least in the states they they see me and they're like oh you're like foreign right you look exotic are you from Brazil and I'm just like no um but what I'm trying to say is that even Puerto Ricans though, have this misconception which is insane because you you live on the island you see how different people look but I think they associate the fact that I speak English well and fluently and often they call me gringa and it annoys the crap out of me because we speak both English and Spanish on the island. And even though maybe you don't speak it at home, doesn't mean that me speaking English makes me a gringa. Absolutely not for me too. Just because I speak fluent English, like don't assume that I'm not Puerto Rican. To add another, absolutely not. Like absolutely do not come to Puerto Rico as a tourist during times of COVID and not wear your mask because like, I feel like people see that as like, oh, they're not part of us. Like they're not part of the U.S. even though we are. And so I can just go on a vacation and leave and then leave fucking COVID there if I want. And then we don't, we can't deal with that disaster right now. Like we don't have the resources. I mean, the U.S. is barely getting by, you know, like the mainland. They're not. <laughs> yeah. So then an island that has been through so much shit really, really cannot deal with that right now. So just be a little bit more considerate and don't do that. Like that is just, no. Okay. Was last question, why, no, I was going to say, why do Puerto Ricans clap on the plane lands? But <laughs> we already covered pride. <laughs> like, we've survived so much shit that yeah. one last thing to survive, we're just ecstatic about it. Clap. <laughs> Amazing. All right, well, on yes. that note, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me. And, you know, I appreciate you a lot. And, yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Me. Thank you, Liana, los Boricua. Somos los mejores. I hope you enjoyed your crash course on La Isla del Encanto. Like Gadia said, please don't go there now, but if you do want to visit in a post-COVID world, you absolutely should because there's nothing like Puerto Rico. Be on the lookout for Paola's up-and-coming musical career. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Absolutely Not. Nos vemos! Absolutely
not.